Welcome to the Treasure Coast Community Church Podcast. TC3 Church is located in Stewart, Florida, and we're thankful that your listening journey has brought you to us. Our prayer is that everyone who tunes in connects the life-changing power of Jesus Christ in a real way. You will also discover, if you dig a little deeper, that TC3 is full of imperfect people who are simply striving daily to be more like Christ than they were the day before. The journey for us is about progress, not perfection. We pray that as you listen, you will be filled with hope, endurance, and joy as you experience life change. Enjoy today's message. Well, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but TC3 is growing because people keep having babies. Um, Last week, we had a child dedication service And there were eight families. They dedicated 11 children. And what that means is these parents have decided that they have made a commitment that they're going to raise their children to know God. And we as a church come alongside them, and we also make that commitment that we're going to help them. And so if you serve in the TC3 Kids Department, I want to say thank you. It's a big deal. What you're doing is a big deal, and we appreciate you. One of the babies that was dedicated is our student pastor, Miles, and his wife. They had a little baby. Her name is Addie, and I had the privilege of holding her a few weeks ago in the lobby. And it was a Sunday morning, and while I was holding her, a lady walked up to me, and she pointed her finger in my face and said, do not vaccinate your baby. And then she walked off and said, the Lord told me to tell parents that. That really made my day, because I thought, this woman thinks I'm young enough to give birth to a baby. (laughs) Apparently, the Lord didn't tell her how old I am. That's okay. (laughs) It made my day that day. Um, If you're new here, I'm Carol Malarski. I'm married to the pastor. We have two children. They're 27 and 29, and we decided that we are done childbearing, so... Uh, that was the, that's the last child. We stopped after two. We're continuing our series, The Things That Tear Us Apart. Um, Barna Group and Mops International did a study, and they asked Christian teens about different actions that people in their households take to share the faith. And 80% said their moms were the ones who encouraged them to go to church. said their moms were the ones who talked with them about God's forgiveness. And 53% said their moms were the ones who taught them the Bible. So moms, you are important and you are valued. You are raising up the Christians of tomorrow and the leaders of tomorrow. You're forming the faith of the next generation. And this church family appreciates you. For our single moms, We appreciate you as well, and we know that your job is not easy. TC3 wants to treat you to a free lunch, you and your kids. So if you go over to Zaxby's in Jensen Beach, Pastor Andy, who happens to be the greatest children's pastor in the whole world, he's going to be there to meet you. So make sure you go up to him and tell him who you are, just in case he doesn't know you. You and your kids are eating for free today. So we hope that you'll take us up on that and you'll join them. Now, when you become a mom, it's a big adjustment. 
but you usually have people to warn you about what's coming. Usually people that have had babies will warn you or your own mother will warn you. Um, They'll warn you about less sleep, less freedom, more love than you can ever imagine, which leads to more worry and more concern. But what if you were the very first mother and there was no one to warn you about what was coming? The first parents came into this world fully mature, so they never saw a baby. So Eve would have never seen a newborn. So Eve said in Genesis 4.1, she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Until she gave birth, the only man that she had ever seen was her tall, strapping husband. So when this event of bringing forth a man finally occurs, do you think that she was surprised when she saw this? (laughs) Red with a long head and a pot belly and no teeth screaming. Not the cherub-looking man-child she might have imagined. You and I have become accustomed to this. We even lie to each other and we tell each other, they're cute. But grunting, groaning, snorting, flailing arms and random reflexes, diaper explosions. It's a lot for new moms and we know that. But it says in Genesis 4.1, Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel and now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So just like always, after giving birth, you forget how hard it is and then you do it again. Two boys, very different God makes us all very unique. So even at the very beginning, the gene combination inherited by each individual was a completely unique, never-before-seen gene combination. Gordon and I, like I said, have two kids. It's amazing how completely different your children can be coming from the same people. Think of it. Billions and billions of people have been born, but God never makes the same thing exact twice, each of us uniquely made. In fact, in our quest to look for companionship or friendship or dating or anything like that, we tend to spend a lot of time looking for people that have similar traits or similar interests or similar struggles, but we will never find another person that's exactly like ourselves. So during those days, there were two career paths to choose from. You could either farm crops or farm animals. So Cain was more of a gardener and Abel loved animals. And it says in Genesis 4, verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. So this is the very first act of worship in human history. And without a doubt, they were taught that they were going to give God an offering. So Cain brought God an offering. He brought him some plants. And Abel gives God fat portions of the flocks. And then it goes on to say, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So some wonder, how are Cain and Abel supposed to know what was going to be an acceptable offering? God must have instructed them concerning the details of how acceptable worship was to be offered by guilty man. The idea of sacrifice 
pervades the whole entire Bible. And we learn from Hebrews that the sacrifices in themselves had no value, but they were a shadow of good things to come and pointed worshipers forward to the coming of Jesus, who would be the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of everyone who believes. So God is happy with Abel's offering, but he's not happy with Cain's offering. So the Bible says in verse five, so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Why is Cain angry? Cain's the firstborn. He was probably the more celebrated since he was the very first child. And sometimes being dethroned by a younger sibling can create less than positive qualities. And such as jealousy or, or competitiveness, Cain seemed to have had an inflated sense of self-importance and perhaps an excessive need of admiration, and he clearly could not handle criticism. And then the Bible says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So God knows things that we don't. How much time do we waste trying to figure out why God doesn't think like we do and God doesn't do things the way we think he should? Cain is pouting, he's angry, and God says, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? So that brings us to the question of what is right? The world debates what is right every day. Research shows that most adults and teens, including Christians, are likely to base what's right or wrong on their feelings. And the problem with basing if something's right or wrong on feelings is that feelings are not universal. What I feel is right and what you feel are right are probably different. Everyone wants to do what's right in their own eyes, but that doesn't work because Jeremiah 17, 9 says our heart is deceptive. In other words, we can't trust how we think or feel. And Cain felt like God should have been happy with what he did. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. So we all have the tendency to make life about us and what we think and what we feel, but the only way to determine what is right and wrong is to go to the one who brought this whole world and all of creation into being. If Cain were alive today, he would probably be one of those guys that calls the church and says, hey, do you accept people who offer plants in worship? And it reminds me of the time a lady asked Gordon if she could bring her parrot to church because she said her parrot channels messages from God. So she wanted to bring her parrot to worship. Um, we accept... And we invite everyone to come to church. We want you here to search for God and we want you to get to know him. However, we believe the Bible is the ultimate authority of our lives. And if God accepts it, we accept it. If God doesn't condone it, we don't condone it. Our thoughts don't matter, only his. So it's scriptural. Is it scriptural to use a parrot in worship? It's not scriptural. So please don't bring your birds to church. 
Every one of us in this room come from different backgrounds, different cultures and families, and have had different worldviews. But here at TC3, when, we ask, when people ask what we believe, we believe the Bible is God's word, and we go with what his word says to the best of our ability. Culture may change. Culture changes, what's legal and illegal changes, but God's word never changes, and it's the ultimate authority. So we need the Bible to hold us accountable when we want to do the easy thing, or the wrong thing, or the foolish thing, or the weird thing, like bring birds to church. The Bible is the way the all-knowing God deals with us partial-knowing humans. So the Bible is the guide from the all-knowing God to partial-knowing humans on how we should live. So obviously, whatever was wrong with Cain's offering was something that he could fix. And God gives us parameters to live by. None of us are perfect. Some may have it easier in life than others, but we all have the equal opportunity to do things God's way. So it was made clear to Cain what the Lord wanted, but he chose to do his own thing. And God goes on to say, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So Cain's offering, while it's acceptable in his own eyes, was not acceptable to the Lord. And in some way, Cain had perverted God's prescribed form of worship and his heart wasn't right. He grew jealous of Abel, and he selfishly nourished his wounded pride. And rather than repent at God's rebuke, Cain became angry. And the Bible says in verse 8, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. So Cain killed his own brother. He decided to forego God's warning, and God warned him that he would do something bad. He said, sin is crouching at your door. Don't give in to it. But he was angry, and he acted on it. And anger and resentment are sparked when you don't feel like you're being treated fairly. Gordon and I have noticed an increase in sibling rivalries and family feuds, brokenness in relationships between brother and sister, parents and children to the point of never speaking again. And in a fallen world, those that we love the most often become the ones that we fight with the most. We see it amongst our neighbors on Neighborhood App. People are always posting their disappointment and their outrage. This person's a bad driver. Don't go to that restaurant. I hired this person. They did a bad job. I didn't get what I deserve. Psychology today calls us the age of rage. Proverbs 29, 22 says, an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. So when things get lodged inside of us, eventually there's gonna be chaos and disorder. Benjamin Franklin said, whatever's begun in anger ends in shame. Proverbs 14, 17 says, a quick-tempered person does foolish things. So some of the things that we struggle with, the things that we wish we didn't do, might be connected with frustration and anger that is built up inside of us. James 1.20 says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So all of us want a right life, but the Bible points out that anger could be the reason we don't live the right life that we wish we, did, we had. So where does this anger come from? 
James tells us the answer. He was actually a sibling of Jesus who emerged as a leader after Jesus was resurrected. And he wrote a letter full of wisdom. And he addresses this hard question. In James 4.1, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He says, what? We think it's a person causing the problem. But James says, what? What causes it? What's the root? We think it's the government. We think it's our spouse. Cain thinks it's Abel that's causing the problems. But as long as we think it's about a who, we'll never get to the root of it. So repeat after me, people are not the enemy. It feels like people are the enemy. It feels like they are, but they are not the enemy. And if people are not the enemy, then what is the problem? So James explains the root of the problem. We go to James 4, 1 and 2. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. So James is defining anger here. He says, anger is when I want something and I'm not getting it. And all of us have desires that are at war within us. We all have emotions that are competing for control. But what do we do when this happens? He goes on to say, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. So James redirects us to an internal solution. You think the answer is to get people around you to behave like they should. We think solutions for our problems are to get the whole world to behave. But what if the traffic doesn't get better on US-1? What if the neighbor's sprinkler keeps spraying your car? What if my husband continues to drive? <laughs> Gordon will often ask me, what's wrong? <laughs> it's hard to answer when there's nothing right. It's, I, uh, I, I asked him if I could throw him under the bus for a second, and he didn't say anything, so I took it as a yes. I, <laughs> we keep wanting to change people's behavior, and God wants to change us. Instead of pointing the blame at others, we go to God. We, he monitors our heart. We say, know my heart, show me, teach me, lead me. Now, healthline.com will give you more than 20 ways to control your anger. Uh, count down, take a breather, go for a walk, relax your muscles. I mean, there's 20 of them, and I've probably tried some of them at times. But what does the Bible say in James 4.2? says, you do not have because you do not ask God. So we are to pull away from the situation and go to God. Now, when there's a conflict with a family member, it can be especially challenging. I had a conflict with a family member. It's been going on for decades. And um, we could be nice to each other, but there was just something that was always there. So it was very recently, a few weeks ago, that I was praying and I've told you before, I get up super early, walk the dog, and that's when I'm talking to God because there's no humans talking. And I'm having this conversation with God about this person. And I'm like, Lord, if you could just get this person to behave, if you could just please humble this person, look how they treat me. They disrespect me all the time. Can you do something about that? I mean, this has gone on forever. When's the end coming? The person needs to be humbled. And there was this voice 
it wasn't audible, but it might as well have been because it was just that strong that told me to do something about me to fix the situation. And I didn't like it. I didn't like what I heard. I thought maybe it's not God. Uh, went further, but it was still, it was strong. It was like, this is what you need to do. And it was something I did not want to do. And it involved spending more time with that person. Um, but he told me to do it. And so even though I did not want to, I yielded to him and surrendered to him and said I would do it. And at the moment that I did that, that's when the feelings and the desire to do it came. And so sometimes if you've ever heard it said that proper feelings follow proper actions, sometimes that's the case. And that was the case for me here. That once I decided to give up, there was a breakthrough there. The breakthrough that I've actually been praying for for decades I would even call it miraculous, and Gordon knows. When I gave up my rights and the treatment that I felt that I deserved, I was free. God cares about our conflict. People are going to continue to hurt us and disappoint us our entire lives, but we have a choice to make. Do we wanna be right or do we wanna be reconciled? I think we all want to be right, but is that the goal? What good is it if I'm right, but if the relationship remains broken? So here's the choice. I'm gonna stay stuck in anger or I'm gonna be free to move forward. Try it. Every day, isolate those areas that always get you, where people always get to you and give them to God. Paul says it this way. He says in Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what does that mean? I'm gonna put to death what my sinful nature really wants to do. The desire to get even with people, that needs to die. That person that acts that way every day and really ticks me off, I'm gonna forgive them in advance. Every day, I'm gonna have to put to death me. If we learn how to die, will be free, and it's humbling to have to do this. Wisdom always leads to humility. Humility is the answer, but it doesn't come naturally. Cain would rather just kill the other person to, than to kill what's inside him, and we all have that natural bend. And there have been times when it felt easier to just kill the relationship than to continue on. But Paul says in Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So I'm gonna isolate those things that I know are gonna get to me and I'm gonna deal with them in advance. If it were an easy fix, we would have already done it. I know where my weak areas are. I know where I have a tendency to blow it and I get tempted here and I get angry there. It's always the same things. And, and it says, Put to death the anger in you. Put to death the anger in you before it kills everything that's important to you. I have to make the decision to isolate those areas. When self dies, something gets freed. 1 John 1.9 says, if we acknowledge our sins, he's faithful and just and he'll forgive us our sins and he'll cleanse us from every wrongdoing. If we wanna live a right life, it's gonna take guts to do things God's way. The solution that few believers are willing to embrace 
Cain was not willing to embrace it. In order for us to find peace in a world that's making us mad, there's something inside us that needs to die. We go to God and the Holy Spirit points out the root of our anger. So now I start out my day different in prayer. I admit to God that I'm gonna feel like doing the wrong thing that day. But instead, I'm going to choose to forgive in advance. Second Corinthians chapter five, Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation. So what if we thought of it as our ministry to respond peaceably to those that we're in conflict with? What if our broken relationships became our ministry, a ministry of reconciliation. I want to think through the lens of Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So from this moment forward, from now on, I'm going to recognize the people that I'm in conflict with. I'm not going to recognize them through the flesh. I'm not gonna look at them in their fallenness, but what if we look at other people who make us mad and we remember that God's in the process of drawing them to the faith or refining them in the faith like he's having to do with me? What if we love that person, outlove that person that makes us mad? And in order for there to be reconciliation, someone is gonna have to pay the bill for the relationship. It's what Christ did. When we were far from God, he paid the bill for us to be reconciled to him. We should follow his lead in our relationships. So today we have a choice, stay stuck and angry or give it to God and allow him to work through us because when self dies, something gets freed. Father, I just wanna thank you because without your word and without your counsel, we make a mess of the world. We turn on each other, we kill relationships, we react in anger, and without your guidance, we don't know what to do. So we thank you that you would have grace and mercy upon us, that you actually took the actions of reconciling us to yourself by paying the price, and I pray that you would help us to do that. There's there's probably people in this room that have names in their heads of people that that they need to make right the relationship. Help us to have the guts to do it, Lord, to do what you say. And Lord, I'm also thinking, since this is Mother's Day, there's, there's also people in this room that are hurting because Mother's Day is not a happy day for them. It's, it's actually a sad day because of loss. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would wrap your arms around them and they would feel your presence in their life and they would feel your love and you would give them peace that goes beyond our understanding. God, there's no doubt that we need you. And we thank you that you would take the time, you you would care enough to not live without us, but to make a way for us to be with you. So we praise you and we ask that you would bless everyone that's in this room in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We understand that life is a journey and that the journey has many stages. No matter what stage you're in, TC3 is a place where you can plug in and be poured into. 
So if you're looking for community, we would love to connect with you. Start by hitting the subscribe button, then click the connect link in today's episode. This is your opportunity to join in on what God is doing at TC3. We are confident that he's just getting started with us and with you. We look forward to sharing more of the path with you.